Well, welcome Harborside. Are we doing well this morning? Awesome, awesome. Uh, this is totally unplanned and unscripted, but I was in the back and I just kind of felt something bubbling in the room. Like, like we're ready to shout, we're ready to praise God for a second. But I, so I want to take five seconds and we're just going to shout a hallelujah. Let's just get that off of our chest. And, but let me tell you why we're doing it. So in the Bible, this is not in the sermon at all, by the way. So in the Bible, Paul and Silas were locked up, two guys were locked up in a prison and they began to praise and worship God. And as they praised God, not only did their chains fall off, but the chains of everybody that was in the room. So I just need about like two people who know that God can do impossible things who will join me and just shout out hallelujah so we can bring freedom in the room. Anybody ready for that? All right, one, two, three, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, all right. Well, good morning, Harborside. We're ready for church now. And all of you who are watching online, chains are breaking off of you. This is awesome. This is great. Um, I was, it was about two or three weeks ago. I was in the lobby, my wife and I, and we were talking to one of our Marriage Monday leaders. And what was interesting, husband and wife, they've been married for years, got four kids, great people. And I knew him by one name. And as we were talking, I found out that's actually his middle name. He goes by his middle name. And his wife was sharing how, when they were dating, how confusing it was when they went to go meet his family. Because everybody was coming up to her and saying, oh, you're John's girlfriend. And she's like, absolutely not. No, I'm not John's girlfriend. I'm not dating John. And, and they're like, oh, I thought you were John's girlfriend. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm not. And then her husband, now husband, comes by and he's like, hey, everyone, this is my girlfriend. And so how confusing it was for the family to not realize that the, the girlfriend didn't know who her boyfriend is. But I, I, I've, <laughs> I've been fascinated by names for, for, for quite a long time. And so I, I want to start with just a couple of questions because this was just so interesting to me. So number one, how many of you here in the room you go by your first name, like your first legal name, not a nickname. Show of hands, you go by your first name. Great. Lots of regular people in the room today. This is awesome. This is awesome. All right, how many people in the room, you actually go by your middle name? Awesome. That's really cool. I actually like that. All right, how about this third category? How many people in the room, you actually go by a nickname? So William, Bill, you know, oh, okay, we've got some people. We've go by a nickname. All right, so how many people in the room, final question, how many people in the room you go by a name that's not your first name or your middle name or your nickname? You go by a completely different name whenever you're introducing yourself. All right, so I'm the only one in the room. Yeah, that's right. So here's the story. So you know me as Amos, but my family knows me by a completely different name. So what happened was I was born in the 80s, and I was born in West Palm Beach, Florida. But my dad was in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And when he got word, hey, your wife is fine and you have a son, he says, great. He's speaking to my relative, run to the hospital, name the baby Jeff. <laughs> Telecommunications in the 80s internationally weren't the best in the world. But my, uh, it was my aunt, actually. She got the word. And she's like, all right, let's go. She rushes to the hospital. She gets to the hospital, but she was too late because my uncle was there. And my uncle had a wonderful idea that all the boys born in the family should have a biblical first name, their dad's first name as their middle name, and then their regular last name. So he actually named me Amos Diosian Pierre. 
which is awesome. I like that name. I think it's very unique. But here's the thing. Every single person in my family calls me Jeff. I'm not kidding. (laughs) My mom and dad, they call me Jeff. My brothers-in-law and my sisters, they call me Jeff. My nieces and nephews, they call me Uncle Jeff. Everyone in my family calls me Jeff, including the uncle who named me Amos. (laughs) True story, 100% true story. Pray for my wife and our many holidays together where she was very confused. But it's so important, it's so important that all of us know what our name is. It's so important to know what our identity is. Because when you hear your name, you recognize it. You could be in a crowd of people and you hear your name, immediately you recognize it. That's why we spent last week making sure we established this series by starting with our identity. Ethan and Paz, they walk through that God has actually called us his priests. And that is our name. We are God's priests. So we spent time last week talking about our identity. This week, we're going to talk about our function. So if that's who we are, then what do we do? Now, we're not making this up, okay? We're actually getting this from the scriptures. Here's kind of a point passage that we're kind of anchoring this entire sermon series on. You'll see this many, many times. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So who are we? We are priests. That's who we are. As priests, we have several different functions. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about those different functions. Today, we're going to focus on one. Today, we're just going to take one of the functions of a priest. Now, this first function, there's tons of examples in in the scriptures. There's there's dozens and dozens of verses that we can use. I, I want to choose this one. This is 1 John 4 and 15, and it says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So who are we? We are priests. So what do we do? What do we do as priests? We carry the presence. We carry the presence of God. We carry the presence of God. Let that sink in for a second. We carry the presence of God. So that's one of our functions as a priest. Our identity, we are priests, our function is to carry the presence of God. But if we're honest, there are some times that there can be dysfunction in our function. Sometimes dysfunction creeps in and starts to mess things up. Um, For example, when things are functioning right, everything is smooth, everything is wonderful, um, take our supply chain. When that's functioning well, all is great. But when there's dysfunction that's created two years ago, then it takes five months for me to buy a new dresser. True story. I went to the furniture store. It's going to take five months for that dresser to come in. And so what we see is something that happened years ago is still causing problems now. And if we're honest, even though we are called priests and that is our identity, sometimes there are things that can hinder us from fully becoming aware of our function as priests. Let me pause there because I understand that in the audience, we may have some people where you're Christian curious. 
Maybe you're here for the very first time or a few times, and you're still figuring out this Christian faith. And we're using words like priest and identity and function, and some of that can be a little difficult to ingest. I'm going to ask you to hang with me. I really am going to ask that you hang with me because most of this sermon won't be directed toward you, but I believe that God has something very specific that he wants to say to you. So you're kind of getting a peek behind the curtain of what it really means to be a Christian. All right, so let's talk about this because there's some times that even though we know what we're supposed to do, some things can kind of get in the way. We're not the only ones who've struggled with this. This has been the struggle since the beginning of time. And we're going to take a passage of Scripture. I, I, I'm an Old Testament guy. I love, love, love the Old Testament. So we're going to read a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. And we're going to read a chunk of the verses, and then we're going to go back and break them down. But let me set up the scene for you. The Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. And God told Moses, Moses, free my people. I'll be with you. And then, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ooh, baby, let my people go. And so the Israelites were freed, and they were freed from Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness, being led by God, being led by Moses, and also being led by a character, somebody in the Bible that we're going to talk about, his name is Aaron. While they're being led by these people, Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God. And while he's up in that mountain... This is what happens. So Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. This is an amazing scene that's happening here. The the Israelites are waiting on Moses, and it's like, man, Moses is taking forever on the mountain. Maybe he died. We don't know what happened to him. Let's figure out what we're going to do. And so Aaron said, take off the rings of gold. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and, off, and, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. This is incredible, the scene. These people had just been delivered out of slavery. And now here they are watching miracle after miracle. Oceans splitting up, food coming from the sky. And they got tired of waiting on Moses, not sure what happens to him. And they create this whole new God that they fall down and worship. How do you get there? How does that happen? How do you go from, man, God is my savior. God is my redeemer. He can do nothing wrong. He is the one that we are following. How do you go from there to worshiping a golden calf? It it, it really starts out very small and then it builds. Let's look at that first verse again and let's now read these scriptures and just go a little bit slower. First verse, 32.1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered, to them, gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this man, Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Aaron 
in the Bible and in this time, he was actually called a priest. So here Aaron is, and he has been called a priest, and now he's faced with a decision. Last week, we shared with you, opened you up to the identity that you are called a priest. And so now you have this same opportunity to choose your function or you choose dysfunction. Aaron didn't choose the right way because here's what happened. The first thing that happened is that Aaron started to feel the pressure of the people around him. So what creates dysfunction? It's, it's the pressure. Many commentaries actually believe that this was a great crowd of people who came to Aaron and were like, Aaron, what are we going to do? What's happening to Moses? We need to figure something out. And Aaron started to feel the pressure. Have you ever felt pressure before? In your life, have you ever felt pressure? Yes. <laughs> you have. We have all felt pressure. But I want to make this abundantly clear. Pressure is not sin. The, the problem isn't the pressure. The problem is what happens after the pressure. Now, let's swap out that word. Maybe you're a little bit younger in the room. It's peer pressure. Maybe you're a little bit older in the room. It's image management. Whatever it is that is causing you to feel overwhelmed with pressure, that's not sin. But if you don't deal with it the right way, then it creates what happens next. We see this with Aaron. The next verse in verse 2 says, So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. So we see that it started out with Aaron feeling this pressure. And then now we see that now there's a burden that Aaron feels. So what creates the dysfunction? It starts out as pressure. And then it builds into a burden. What do I mean by that? What I mean is now it's up to you to figure out how to solve this pressure. So many times in our lives, we can feel this intense pressure. And our immediate response is, okay, well, let me figure this out. Let me figure out what to do to solve this pressure, to solve this anxiety, to solve this stress. But it doesn't stop there. Because the pressure becomes a burden and then it builds into this. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before the Lord and he made a proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Here's what happens here. You see how something so small, so tiny... We don't know what happened to Moses. What are we going to do? That built into, okay, it's now my problem to solve. People don't know what to do. Let me go ahead and put my hands on it and figure this out. You know what? Give me the gold. Give me the this. Give me the that. We're going to make our own God to worship. And what began as just something small became a new God. And so what creates dysfunction? It's the pressure that turns into a burden and then eventually creates a mess. For a brief moment in preparing for this sermon, I thought about taking like a Coke bottle and grabbing some Mentos to try to illustrate this, but I figured you'd have all seen it before. You start out with one thing, and then here comes the agitation, and then that pressure gets built up off the cap, and then now the burden is on the cap, and then it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. 
And so what we see here is that this pressure turns into a burden, and then it creates this mess. Well, what are some of the messes that can happen in our lives? Well, some of the messes could be our family. Some of the messes could be how we handle our own selves and our relationships with other people. Some of those messes can be how we've responded when God has asked us to do something. These are the messes that can get created in our lives. But if you're here and you're Christian curious or you're online and you're watching this and you're not sure if this is what you want to do, this is where I would lean in. Because if you look at the history of what's going on here, while these people were there creating this brand new God, this brand new idol, God was actually in the mountain telling Moses exactly how to build a tabernacle. So, so, so what does that mean? What that means is while these people were sinning, God was planning. God was in the mountain creating a place where he would abide. He was creating a tabernacle. He lists out exactly how he wants it to build. So I, I, I want you to know if you're here and you're watching and you're tuning in, sometimes we can overestimate God's wrath and underestimate his love. He loved people that much that even while they were creating a brand new God to worship, he was creating a house so he could be right in the center of where they are. And so we see that Aaron, this high priest, had really come to this situation where he'd created a mess. Now, as a kid, having two names is extremely difficult. Um, Being called Amos at school and Jeff at home is really impossible. And I remember going through elementary school and whenever the roll call would happen and they'd say, hey, uh, William, yeah, call me Will. Okay, Will. Uh, Anna, yeah, call me Annie. Okay, yep. Amos, yep, call me Jeff. Um, (laughs) Is that your middle name? No. (laughs) Just, Just call me Jeff. And so, I, honestly, I got sick of it. I, I kept it through elementary school. And once I got to middle school, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to rock with Amos. I'm just going to keep that. So when they say Amos, I don't have to explain anything. I'm just going to go with Amos. So all my elementary friends know me as Jeff. Everybody up in Killing York knows me as Amos. And, and so I thought that was a good idea. And, and it worked. It, it was great. I've just kept it ever since. But here's what happened. My first couple of weeks in middle school, I was in Mr. Lighthouser's science class. And Mr. Lighthouser was awesome. Um, but I, I, I never really connected with his class. I wasn't great with science. So in class, sometimes I would daydream and doze off just a, just a little bit. And so uh, what, what would happen is Mr. Lighthouser knew this. So he would always call different students to the board. And I found myself within the first two weeks of class, Mr. Lighthouser saying, Amos, Amos, can you go to the board? Uh, Amos, can you go to the board? And I'm just sitting there, just kind of jotting stuff down on my paper and just working out. And he's like, Amos. And I was like, oh, that's, yes, yes, that's me. Yeah, yeah. I'd never heard anybody call me Amos before. Everybody in my life at that point had called me Jeff. Every single person had called me Jeff. You know what's so interesting about that is that you, you can never recognize a call if you don't know your name. You can never recognize if somebody's calling you if they're not speaking the name that you know that you are. So when we're here and you're a priest, that goes over your head until you fully embrace that identity that, oh, God is talking to me. And so sometimes we miss the call of God just because we think he's talking to somebody else. We change that today. 
So let's look at somebody who did this right. And it is a fascinating, if you thought Jeff was a weird name, hang on, grab onto your seats. I I want us to learn this name. This name is Bezalel. Bezalel. We're going to say that on the count of three. One, two, three, Bezalel. All right, again, one, two, three, Bezalel. Last time by yourself, one, two, three, Bezalel. Perfect. Exodus 31, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with all knowledge and craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work with gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones, setting, and carving wood, and in every craft. This passage of scripture in the Bible is one of the first times anyone in the Bible is mentioned as having God's spirit on him. Bezalel is a fascinating character in the Bible, and you only see him for a couple of chapters in Exodus. Bezalel was charged with actually designing and building the entire tabernacle. We spoke about this a few months ago, the Ark of the Covenant, the the, the linens, the golden lampstand, everything that was fashioned, Bezalel was in charge of it. And I think it's so powerful that God said, Bezalel has my spirit, so put him in charge of everything because my spirit has given him the skill to do all of these different works. And so if we're going to embrace our function as priests, which is to carry the presence, we have to understand what that means. And here's what that means. How do you carry the presence? Well, if we're looking at Bezalel, you carry the presence. You carry the presence when you listen for the call. You carry the presence of God when you listen to the call of God. It's really, really hard to hear that God is calling you if if you don't think he's saying your name. God has called you a priest. And as a priest, you carry the presence of God. That was the first thing that Bezalel did, where Aaron kind of missed it and listened to the people around him to push him to pressure. Bezalel did something different. Bezalel was called specifically, specifically by God. But but what are some other ways that we carry the presence? Well, Exodus 36, verse 3, it says, And Moses received all the contribution from the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary, and they kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. This is incredible to me because here we have God on the mountain seeing that his people are completely lost, and he says, I need to build a place right in the center. I've got Bezalel right here. I've given him the spirit. I've given him skill. He's got it. He's going to carry it. And then once the people heard this call, they weren't coming with little earrings anymore. They were bringing every single thing that they had. Uh, By the way, most scholars believe that the golden calf, I know in the movie The Prince of Egypt, it looked huge. Uh, It was actually only about four inches big. That golden calf that they were worshiping was only about four inches big. But now God is building his place, and all the people are responding and bringing everything that they have. So... You carry the presence when you listen to the call, but you carry the presence when you carry the offering. What has God given you? What has God skilled you to do? What has God given you a unique ability with? That is what he is asking you to bring to him as an offering. Your unique ability is something that nobody else has, and God has placed it specifically on the inside of you. And as his priest, you carry the presence when you're listening to what he's trying to do, and then you bring your gifts, your talents, and your abilities to him. 
And then this is my favorite part. Because when we look at the Old Testament scriptures, when we look at the Ark of the Covenant, there are some people that if they even touched the Ark of the Covenant, they would just fall over and die. If they, if they got too close to it, they would fall over and die. And I always had this question, and I never researched it, but how did the Ark get there in the first place if I can't even touch it? Uh, how am I supposed to build the thing if I can't touch it? Well, here he is again. Exodus 37 and verse 1 says this, Bezalel made the Ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half was its breadth, and a cubit and a half was its height. You see, Bezalel was the person in the Bible that actually designed and fashioned the place that the Spirit of God would rest. What God had called for, I want to build a tabernacle, I want a place in the middle of the people, there was no one on earth with enough skill to do it. There was no one on earth with enough ability to do it. But he puts his spirit on Bezalel, and now Bezalel can. Not because Bezalel's good and Bezalel has strength and Bezalel has power. No, it's because Bezalel had the spirit of God. And so you carry the presence when you listen to the call, when you carry the offering, and also you carry the spirit of God. You carry the spirit of God. I, I, I want to take a moment here, and, and I, I, I want to really, really hone in on this because it is important to understand that you carry the spirit of God. It's that verse that we started out with in 1 John. When you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he abides in you. You, abide. you carry the spirit of God. And what does that spirit do? In Bezalel's example, it gave him incredible skill. Let, let's tweak this in our language as priests. Because a lot of times, here's what we do. In a lot of our prayer, in our, a lot of our prayer lives, I, I believe we're well-intentioned and well-meaning. We'll typically ask God, Lord, Lord, I, I need a miracle. Lord, I need you to perform this miracle in my life, in my health, in my family. That's the prayer that we typically pray. Lord, I need a miracle. Lord, I, I need you to give me the skill to perform well in business. Lord, bless my business. Lord, bless my hands. Lord, bless what I do. And I believe that those are well-intentioned and well-meaning prayers. And I believe that God answers it. But I want to just interject this one piece right before the prayer. There is not one instance in the Bible where a miracle happened without the presence of God. Not one. Every time there was a miracle, there was the presence of God. When we're praying, Lord, I need a miracle, the prayer right before that should be, Lord, I need your presence in this room right now. Because I know there's no miracle that can happen without your presence. None whatsoever. I think a lot of times we can fall into the situation that Aaron fall in, fell into, where we Yes, we are priests, but there's this pressure, and there's this pressure to do. There's this pressure to perform. There's a pressure to act. There's a pressure to make something happen with my hands. And with Aaron, I find it so interesting that when you look at the definition of his name, when you look at the definition of what does this name Aaron even mean, and why that's significant is people in the Bible would be named based off of their purpose. 
So that's why an angel came and said, name him Emmanuel, meaning God with us when Mary was with child with Jesus. So every day of Jesus's life, they said, God with us, God with us, God with every time they called him, God with us. So what does the name Aaron mean? The name Aaron means strength. And I think sometimes maybe your name is Aaron in the room. And so maybe sometimes you fall into the trap that you you feel like it's up to you to make things happen. You've got to make things happen in your own strength. And I think all of us can fall into that. But let's look at the name Bezalel. And what does the name Bezalel mean? The name Bezalel means in the shadow of God. The person who received the spirit of God, the person who designed and crafted the ark, the person who was in charge of building the place that God would rest in the middle of his people was the person who was in God's shadow. I know there's pressure. I know you need a miracle. I know you've been praying. What I'm telling you is as a priest who carries the presence, you've got to carry the presence, but you can only carry it if you get into the shadow. It's not your strength. It's the shadow. And how near do I have to be to something to be in its shadow? I'm currently not in the shadow of this cross that's on the stage. I'm not in the shadow. I'm looking at it and I can see it. And sometimes we're in this level of a gap. And and I know my my production team, this was not planned, but but the closer I get to this cross, as I begin to walk in it, I step out of my own light. And now I'm stepping over here into this shadow. So many of us, we fall into the trap of trying to bring God into our business, God into our family, God into our lives, God into our situations. And I'm here to tell you as a priest who carries the presence, it is your responsibility, it is your duty, it is your honor, it is your function to carry your family into the presence of God, to bring your business to the feet of the Father. That's the difference when you come into the awareness as a priest. You're no longer praying for him to come. You're taking things and you're bringing it into the presence of God. You are carrying it into the presence of God. You need a miracle, yes, but you need the presence of God first. You need a miracle, yes, but you need a presence of God first. You need to improve your ability, your skill. People are depending on you to make great decisions, yes, but you need the presence of God first. And you can only get the presence and the Spirit of God by staying in his shadow. You have got to get into the shadow. I want to do something as we close, because this is uh, something that could be great up here, and I can try to make a case, and I can go through the scriptures, and and I, I can try to line things up. But I think it's important for us to have a practical feeling, function, example that we can use day to day, because this doesn't help you if it stays right here. If this is the only place that you can experience the presence of God, this doesn't help you. The goal is as priests, when you leave, you still carry the presence of God everywhere you go. And so I want to ask for, just remain standing for a second, or I'm sorry, remain seating for a second, and just close your eyes, and I want you to take your right hand and press it against your chest. Press it enough to where you can feel every part of the hand, and you can feel You can feel the pressure of your hand. 
Now I want you to imagine yourself on Tuesday. And let's say you have a coffee meeting with a friend. Or maybe it's Wednesday and you're in the car and you're sitting in the parking lot of your work and you've got a huge presentation. Or maybe it's Thursday evening and you're at the table and it's you and your spouse and you've reached an impossible situation. Most times the way that you've handled it is you are asking the Lord to get you out of it, to bring a miracle, and I think that is honorable. There, there is nothing wrong with that. But coming into your awareness of a priest, understand that you carry the presence of God. And so what you need first before you ask for anything that you need, you are inviting the presence of God into that space. Imagine yourself in the car, Lord, I need your presence to fill this car. You're at the dinner table. Lord, I need your presence right here at this dinner table. You're about to go to coffee with that friend and they are struggling and you know it and you don't know what to say before you even get up there. Lord, I need your presence. So right now I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to agree with this prayer with me. And it's Lord, right now in this moment, Let me feel your presence right now. Let me feel your presence right now. Get familiar with the Lord moving on your heart, the Lord moving on the inside of who you are. Get familiar with this. God's moving. His presence is here. Lord, we thank you for your presence. And I thank you for your presence that is lighting up and awakening all the people in the room to their identity and also their function to carry your presence. Lord, let let that heat, let that light bubble up from within them. It's always been there. You've always been there. But let us become more aware. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand as we close. You are a priest, and as a priest, you carry the presence of God. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And you carry the presence everywhere you go to everyone you meet. Because here's what happens. When you carry the presence, the ordinary becomes ordained. Everyone you meet, everywhere you go, when you don't know what to do, take a second. Lord, let me feel your presence, because I can't do it without you. When you don't know what to pray, Lord, I need your presence. Your child wakes up, they're scared. Lord, we need your presence in this room right now. Pray for the presence first because the presence is the key to everything else. And you carry it. You carry it. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and we thank you for this awareness and we thank you for the good things that you have given us. Bless us with your presence all week long. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.